Hey, how's it going? That great little ditty you just heard part of is called I'm Gonna Get Over This Someday, and it is on the much-anticipated and truly wonderful debut album from Logan Ledger. It was written by the legendary T-Bone Burnett, who produced Logan's record. We hear Logan talk a bit about the song's history in our chat. Logan was kind enough to spend a bit of time talking with us about his newly released record. It's been a long time coming, and he caught a bit of bad luck timing-wise, as we're all now quarantined, and he can't be out there touring behind it. But that does not diminish in any way the master work that this record is. And it was fun to hear Logan talk about putting it together, some of the songs and their origin stories. If you have not done so, you may want to listen to the previous full-length episode we did with Logan last year. He's a self-described country music nerd, and he has some great stories and great insights into country music history and how it has shaped him as a musician. So do yourself a favor while also doing sidelined artists a favor and go buy this record. As we discussed, Logan intended this album to be enjoyed as a complete work, not just as a collection of songs, and it is a delight to listen to from start to finish. So let's get to it. Here's our bonus special edition Tell You What discussion with Logan Ledger. I'm gonna get over this some way though at the moment I don't know how. I don't wanna have my say and I don't wanna walk away. I'm gonna get over this someday. I might as well get over it now. Oh, I might as well get over it now. Yes, I might. Right, Logan Ledger, welcome back to tell you what the podcast. You are our first repeat customer, so thanks for oh. coming back. Oh wow, thank you. That's such an honor. I appreciate, I appreciate <laughs> that. So just quite the quite the distinction. <laughs> yeah, I think it is. I think it is. We'll see how long it holds up. Maybe you'll yeah. be the only one smart enough, <laughs> let's say, to come back for more. Well, I appreciate it, Mike. Thank you so much for having me again. Sure. Uh, we are, we're holed up in our quarantine up in, up in the Tell You What studios. You are, uh, I assume, safe at home in Nashville? Yes. Yes, here in Nashville, Tennessee. Do you have a safe team there, a, a, a good company? Yes, I do. I have a, luckily, I have a musical roommate, uh, my, uh, my friend Frank Rishi, who's uh, a great musician and he's fun to play with. And we've done at least one, we've done one live stream together so far. Yeah, I've seen you on Instagram, I think, the two of you together. Yeah, yeah. You know, he has a great dog named Georgia that also is our roommate. So it's a good crew. That's very helpful. All right. I know you've been waiting a long time for this. I know this is a really weird time for it to happen during this quarantine, but it still must feel really good to finally have this album out in the world. It does. You know, it's been a long time coming, but uh, you know, I'm really proud of what we did. And uh, I'm so glad that people finally get to hear these songs. Now, you've been releasing some of these songs along the way as singles leading to this full album release. That's the way it seems to work these days. But this album has the feel to me of a complete work. There's kind of a vibe that runs throughout. So it's meaningful and important to have these songs together as the complete work that they are, wouldn't you say? Uh, very, very much so. You know, when we put these songs out as singles, it definitely kind of took the songs out of context. And the album really does have a very specific flow. And I think that the songs sort of, they all, they, you know, certain songs clearly reference each other, you know. So it's kind of, it really needs to be experienced in that order for people to, to you know, to realize that. 
Can you talk about an example of how some of the songs reference each other? Um, well, you know, for one, uh, the first song on the on the album and the last song on the album both begin and end with me strumming the guitar. So it's sort of a musical palindrome in that sense, like okay. soft to loud to soft again. There's that kind of thing. Um, this is just musical, you know, but on the second song, you know, Starlight, which is, you know, you can think of Mermaids as being an intro, the intro to side A, but it really, album really gets going on Starlight and you hear that, that lick that Russ Paul came up with. And that lick is echoed again on the first song on side B, which is, I'm going to get over this someday. It's sort of of variations. It sort of mirrors each other, stuff like that. Yeah. And, and and besides the music, I think I remember you telling me how much thought and time you were putting into the whole package of the album itself, the the look of the album cover, logos, fonts, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. I worked uh, really closely with the designer, the graphic designer that they have at Rounder or you know, Concord here in Nashville, uh, a guy named Jimmy Hole, who's a really cool, cool dude. And we um, we pretty much designed everything together. And it has kind of a retro motif, the, the, the look of the album. Yeah, you know, we uh, we used a font uh, called Thalia, which is an old font from the 1800s that you see on um, certain, you know, old record covers. I've seen it on, a, there's a greatest hits of the Carter family record from the 60s that uses it, a cool old Sunhouse record. So, you know, I'm, I'm kind of a weird uh, uh, font guy. I like old fonts. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, and that that's a modified version of, of the Thalia font, but yeah. You know, okay, that's too much information, probably. <laughs> no, no such thing on this podcast. We go deep. Yeah, we go deep into the font world. <laughs> fonts are really cool. I recommend this website called fontsinuse.com. Maybe I don't really know what the what the suffix is, but it's fonts in use, and it's uh, a user. Um, it's like a community website. It's user uploaded content, so people basically will will upload versions or you know examples of fonts being used in the real world and it's like this great cross-reference database with a really like elegant uh website design it's really cool so cool recommend it all right for all you font people out there (laughs) all right now let's talk about the the the, the music itself on the album some of these songs are co-writes right some you've written yourself Mm -hmm. one was written by t-bone burnett your producer for Mm -hmm. this record and one is a cover of a very old song that's a variety of creative sources uh, yes you put your own stamp on all of them, made them fit together really well. But do you think it was important to have this variety of sources, or is that just the way it came together? Um, that's really just the way it came together. You know, I just picked what the material that I thought was the strongest and the material that worked the best together. You know, because I, I could have made the record all my own songs. You know, but I didn't. It just felt like, you know, or there's a lot of songs that I've written with other people that didn't make the record, and they were good songs. It just they didn't fit what we were going for. And I will say that um, the song T-Bone wrote, which is I'm going to get over this someday, he didn't actually write for my record. He um, actually wrote that for a musical about Roy Rogers called Happy Trails that I believe is still in production. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, I think that's – he. it might not be in the musical anymore, but that was where he originally, originally intended it to go. And he actually – you know, T-Bone didn't really necessarily want me to record that song. He thought it, maybe it wouldn't work with the rest of the album, but – after he heard me do it, he was convinced that it would. So, because I, I love that song, it's really cool. Oh, it is a great song, and thanks for clearing that up. But, but yeah, it is. It's one of my favorite songs on the record. I think it really, it really jumps. Um, let's talk about a different kind of song. The song nobody knows. This is a real haunting production. Um, I think this was a solo right by you. It kind of has a noir feeling that permeates a lot of the music on the album. That's got that haunting last line. 
because I'm nobody. That really mm-hmm. kind of really kind of gets to you. It's also an example of something we talked about the last time you were with us about vocal styling and and how you approach that as a songwriter. And I think you mentioned that you like to leave a lot of room in the lyrics to allow your voice to kind of set the mood um, in the song. So can you talk about this song and kind of in that with that perspective? Yeah, you know, I, in a way I kind of designed that song. I don't know if it was entirely consciously or what, but I kind of designed it to have a, a lot of space and um, a lot of potential for, you know, potent, you know, potentially bizarre phrasing. But, you know, I like to get kind of weird with the phrasing sometimes, and you can't really do it if there isn't enough space. And that song's in six, and it's got this weird... The the rhythm of the melody is sometimes sort of at odds with the the rhythm of the rhythm section. I mean, not, you know, it's it's sort of a counterimposed kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's kind of out, but, uh, you know, that's what I, that's how I wrote it. <laughs> but it allows your voice to really do the work of setting the mood of the song. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the more, the more fun songs to sing probably. talk about one of the co-writes the lights of san francisco co-written with steve earl yes i think i've heard of that guy Um, very very cool guy yeah how does a co-write with steve earl happen and was it intimidating at all to work with one of the greatest living songwriters around um yes it was kind of intimidating at least at first but you know i actually have gotten to know steve pretty well over the past couple years and uh open for him a few times and he's he's a real sweet guy and a real knowledgeable dude that you know he pretty much is like an expert on it on anything you can name <laughs> he's really you know he's like this insanely well-read like guy people think people think he's like this tough biker dude but you know he's like i mean there's a little bit of that going on but he's really just like a you know a nerd <laughs> and he's like a, he's like a zen dude now totally he's awesome and, and he's so yeah he's super zen he's just like the he's kind of the best vibe ever you know yeah. He really is just positive. He just seems like a really cool Zen guy. Yeah. How did the song uh, come together? Yeah. So basically, um, T-Bone is really good friends with Steve, and he texts Steve about me, basically. He, tra- he is basically a blind date that T-Bone set up, mm-hmm. you know, uh, not really knowing what would happen. But I went down to Chattanooga, uh, where Steve was playing a show, and... Uh, we started writing that song right before he played, like in the green room. Uh, it was a title that I already had, and I'd actually tried a couple of times to write the song, but it never had worked out. I, totally different storylines and different melodies and everything. You know, I tried every which way to get around this title, but it didn't really work and, until, I met, until I met Steve and told him, why don't, we, why don't we write a song called The Lights of San Francisco? And uh, the song takes place in your homeland, the Bay Area, right? It's kind of a ghost story about Alcatraz. Yeah, and that was sort of Steve's innovation. I had it sort of—I mean, I, I had it as a prison song. It was, but I was thinking San Quentin or something, and I was definitely thinking that the the 
you know, the, the narrator was, was a living person, but Steve had this idea of turning it into a ghost story, which is how the song, you know, ended up working. Yeah, and it, that makes it work with the rest of the album pretty well too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Days crawl by like death Here in this prison Late at night, the clock don't move at all On this island ain't nobody living We're only marking time behind Okay, we're going to talk about one of my favorite songs on the record, I Don't Dream Anymore. Right on. I've been playing this song over and over again. First of all, one of your amazing vocal performances, which are (laughs) all over this record. But the opening riff, which repeats as kind of like the pre-chorus, or I don't know what you might call it, it really reminds me of like a 60s psych garage rock kind of thing. Totally. You know, that Russ Paul came up with it, up up with that. Me and Noah Jackson, who I wrote the song with, we had that chord progression, you know, that sequence of chords. Yes. But the percussive kind of like jump that's that was sort of Russ's idea. Because uh, when we me and Noah wrote it, it was really just a pure um orchestral the the the, the intro, the way me okay. and Noah had it originally on the demo. You know, it was like finger picked guitar and then you know, Russ was who you know, when we got in the studio and we got the electric band to play on it, Russ started going for that more percussive kind of jip jip thing and that was a you know very reminiscent of those san francisco psych bands and that's definitely what you know we were going for song skip a rope yes i want to talk about this because it was a really interesting cover song choice and i would like you to tell us the story of this song and how you came to include it on this record well um i'd heard this song you know because i'm just a country music geek and i knew about this song it was a hit in 1967 i think for a guy named henson cargill who didn't write the song the song was written by glenn d tubb glenn douglas tubb uh, ernest tubb's nephew and a guy named Jack Moran, who was, you know, songwriter, you know, the golden age of Nashville songwriters. And uh, they uh, put this song together. And I don't know how Henson Cargill found it, but he 
he uh he f- somehow winds up with this song and he ends up in Nashville at Monument Records at the desk of Fred Foster, who's a guy who, you know, produced Roy Orbison records and a real innovator in, in terms of like studio recording technique and all that kind of thing. Um, but he um you know somehow got a record deal in Monument with this song and it was a hit. You know, it's a song that uh, tackles racial inequality and uh, you know uh, greed and the social ills in a way that I don't think um, uh, most country songs really did at that time. And it's funny that it was a, it was a number one hit, you know? Right. And the, the, the device of the song is that the children are repeating outside, repeating what they hear in the house. Is that right? Yep. Yeah. It's you know, basically, uh, and it kind of, it isn't very funny what the children say. Basically, you know, the cycle continues. Yeah. The seeds that are planted, you know, grow right. malevolent fruit. And now that a lot of people are spending a lot more time with their children in the house, maybe it's a cautionary tale. Absolutely. You know, but those cycles are hard to break. Yes. They're unconscious. I mean, what what made you decide to put it on the record? Um, well, I wanted to include something with, with a, a little bit of a social message because I don't really, you know, it's not really a huge aspect of my music, but it's a big part of who I am as a person, you know. And I definitely have, um, I don't think that anything can be totally apolitical. You know, I'm, I'm very, you know, upfront about my, you know, views about society and, and that kind of thing. And I didn't want uh, that to be, you know, up for debate, really. You know, there's so much country music out there that's kind of in service of some pretty bad ideas. And I didn't really want, I definitely want to be on the side, the other side of that. Yeah. Well, I think this is a really interesting uh Interesting choice for the record. I think it works very well. Thank you. Cheat on your taxes. Don't be a fool. Now, what was it they said about a golden rule? Never mind the rules, just play it to win. And hate your neighbor for the shade of his skin. Skip a row. All right, Logan, thanks for talking about these songs with us. How are you dealing with the quarantine? Do you think there's going to be a creative movement that comes out of this? Maybe not. Maybe people aren't writing songs right now, but that, but that there are a lot of songs that might arise out of this time that, that, that we have with sidelined musicians all over the country. You know, I think so. I think we'll probably get a lot of good songs out of this. Uh, I'm certainly writing a lot more. But, you know, it also sucks that we don't have any touring anymore and who knows what the state of the industry is going to be like when this is all over right it's probably going to ravage certain uh, sectors of it you know live touring venues for one thing exactly i mean like venues are already starting to close yeah they're definitely in trouble you know and this comes right after uh for you east nashville residents right after the tornado came through your neighborhood it's been quite a quite a year for your neighborhood yep yeah it has been uh actually the tornado hit like probably a half a mile or less from our house, which is pretty crazy. So we narrowly missed that one. It came out of nowhere. Well, all right, Logan, thank you for taking the time again and returning to the tell you what congratulations on the album and all the rave reviews it is getting. It's getting a lot of great attention. Um, And we look forward to seeing you on stage in person sometime very soon. Thank you so much, Mike. You know, I, I really, I love coming on your show. It's really fun to talk to someone who, who's as knowledgeable about music and life as you, you know, I'm uh, just, you know, I'm tickled to be here.
And uh, sorry if I sometimes if I'm a little rambly. Well, maybe we'll get you back here for the third episode. I would love that. Okay, Logan. Thanks. Thank you. I'm a man.